Welcome to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. To get free mentoring services, as well as to see the wide variety of resources available for small businesses, visit our website at www.score.org or call 1-800-634-0245. And now, here's your host, Dennis Zink. Episode number 25, Effective Presentations. Fred Dunnier joins me today in our studio as co-host, score mentor, and our audio engineer. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Dennis. Our guest today is Bob Terrell. Bob, welcome to Been There, Done That. Thank you, Dennis and Fred. Glad to be here. Bob Terrell is passionate about assisting others with their platform skills, either in front of an audience or on camera. As a 40-year veteran professional development trainer and a 20-year distinguished Toastmaster, Bob is fully qualified to coach mentor, instruct, teach, and otherwise offer guidance and communication skills to any interested person. Bob is also a certified SCORE mentor with our Pinellas chapter in the Tampa Bay area. Again, Bob, welcome to Been There, Done That. Thank you. Bob, what is an effective presentation? I would define effective presentation as any time you're wanting to get your message across to an audience, and in fact you do. There are a lot of different ways to do it, but the bottom line is your audience has to not only perceive, but be able to understand whatever message it is you're imparting. Why is being able to present yourself in a good manner important? Well, if you think about it, from the first minute we start working anywhere, no matter whether it's our own business or one in which we work as an employee, one of the first things we're called upon to do is to communicate well. So whether it's an interview or presenting before a board or an audience or even just running a meeting, one of the most critical skills we have is communications. And very often we're called upon to present something even last minute. So isn't it better to be prepared as best you can with having effective presentation skills? Do you have any set amount of time and prep that you would suggest to prepare for, say, a 20-minute presentation? Yes, I do. A 20-minute presentation is probably about average for when you're speaking before a chamber of commerce or if you're speaking before some kind of a board or internally in a, toward a committee for a company. And what I recommend these days, since we, a lot of us have smartphones, is to set that smartphone up in video every time you practice. This way, when you watch it, you're objectively seeing what you're practicing, and hopefully if you have an audience or someone there to help you, they're giving you feedback, and you're able to see the areas in which you can improve. But for, for a general rule, if you're going to do a 20-minute presentation, you want to be able to practice that presentation at least 10 times. So although it seems like an investment in time, it is, you're better off running it through so that you really know the essence of your speech or your presentation, and you don't have to look down and read it when the time comes. What's your opinion on a PowerPoint presentation as opposed to not having the PowerPoint? I might get some cards and letters on this, or maybe you guys will, but I'm not a big believer in PowerPoint anymore. I'm old enough to have been around when PowerPoint came out, and like most people, I really got into it. Now my philosophy is, if it supports the speech or the presentation, use it, but sparingly. Let me say that again with emphasis, sparingly, and not with all the frills and fancy stuff that happens with flying in and, and you know transitioning out. Really, to me, PowerPoint should be graphical, and it should only support the the points you're making occasionally, infrequently, throughout your presentation. I see PowerPoints with uh, 
so much verbiage on a slide. It's just uh, it's ridiculous. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, you know, it's interesting because sometimes you want to just kind of put the bullet points of what the presentation's about up there to just help guide the audience through the presentation. But sometimes you actually want to give them a handout that has the information in it, in which case you want to put more on it. So um, I guess it kind of depends on the situation and what you're trying to convey. It does, Fred. And, and that reason is why we always say no more than three bullets, and each bullet shouldn't really have more than four or five words. The point is they are prompts. If I say we're in a podcast today, I'm going to put a podcast. And more, more than that, I'm going to put a picture of you, Dennis, and you, Fred. I'd rather have them see your personalities, your persons, and then I'll explain who these guys are, what they do. They don't need to read the slide. I'm the show. I want them to watch and listen to me. And I guess if you want to have the detail that for them to take with them, you put that in the notes section and make sure they just get the notes as opposed to putting it on the slides and the bullets. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we're asked about all the time is uh, making an elevator pitch or an elevator speech. Could you comment on doing that properly in, what, a minute and a half, a minute, something like that? To be honest with you guys, even a minute is too long. You really want to grasp and, and get a hold of the concept of 30 seconds because just as you're doing in this podcast, you have about seven seconds or maybe 10 at the most to grab your audience's attention. And if you don't do it by then, by the time you get to 30 seconds or, for goodness sakes, all, all of a minute's time, they won't even be paying attention anymore. The idea is to condense your thoughts to be crystal clear and concise as possible so that what they're doing is, hey, I'm paying attention to you, Dennis, and then a little bit later on I'll get more information from you. Fred and I were talking before the podcast to be able to say, get me to the next click, get me to the next question, but don't spend a lot of time just pitching yourself or you'll never make your point. You know, one of the the big things today is TEDx and TED conferences, and um, they're somewhere around, I'm just guessing, 17, 18 minutes. They're limited uh, to the amount of time and and um, I know that in preparation, you're supposed to make it per perfect, basically. You're supposed to practice till you get it 100% memorized. What's your opinion on that uh, memorization as opposed to, you know, having it all not planned out? Like an effective actor, if you memorize your lines, if you really know them, Dennis, Fred, then what you do is you're able to get the essence of them, not necessarily read them line for line or even remember them that way. But what you're able to do then is use your face, your body, the tone in your voice to really emphasize the entire point you're making all throughout your presentation. The whole purpose of memorization is to not sound like it, but to have that in your gut so you're able then to speak with aplomb, speak with variety, and speak with some passion about your subject. If you don't know your subject, then you're going to be looking down at a piece of paper saying, hold on a minute, guys, I need to refresh where I am. It's better to memorize. It's better to practice, as I've indicated before. And then you walk onto that stage, as I've done with one fellow I coached, and you're just speaking from your heart, your soul, wherever you're coming from. You know, and looking at, at people that our listeners might be familiar with, certainly uh, President Obama is uh, known to be an excellent speech maker, and he is always using teleprompters, at least that's what I think. If you could comment on using teleprompters, if they're available to you, how to use them, does that make sense to do? Uh, do you have to be a professional to use teleprompters? Teleprompters are, can be very effective in helping you with a speech or a presentation. You need to be careful, though, about looking like you're reading from that teleprompter. When I work with people and do videos for them, I set my teleprompter up directly under the lens. The most professional type are right over the camera lens, so it never seems to appear like you're reading them. But if you're making a speech before a live audience and a teleprompter is lower or around the lectern height, 
your head will look like it's appeared to be down, looking down and you're prompting yourself, that's when you're going to lose your audience because you want to be able to prompt yourself. That is, get a, get a fix on the, the sentence or the, the bullet point you're speaking about. Look at your audience, look into your audience. So you're making your point with the same passion you have for that subject. Using a prompter needs a lot of practice. But once again, the key word is prompt and then look at your audience. When you, when you look at your audience, are you looking at anyone in particular and constantly focusing them? Are you looking at one or two people or the back of the room or what are you supposed to do? It's an interesting concept in looking with people. When you look at your audience, I always divide it into three. So I pick someone in the right field section, you might say, to use a baseball analogy, and I look at that person, and the concept is, if I look at you, Dennis, and there are 10 people around you, they all feel like I'm looking at them. Same thing with if I were looking to my left at Fred. Whoever is around him would feel like I'm looking at them as well. So you pick a person, you look into their eyes, you don't spend a lot of time there, but it makes it look like you're making a sincere attempt to communicate with that person and the people in their immediate surrounding area. What do you think the biggest challenges are facing a non-professional speaker in facing an audience? The biggest challenge in non-professional speaking is the fear. I'm sure you guys have heard it over and over. I'm just scared. I'm going to get up in front of 20, 200, however many people, and I'm not going to remember a thing. Even if I'm holding papers in my hand, they'll probably drop. That's how nervous I'll be. So what I recommend is one of the things I've done in my life, and that's join Toastmasters. You want to be able to practice on a consistent basis with people that are going to give you supportive feedback, and nothing helps you gain control like practice. If you think you can, you can do it and you've never done it, you're going to find a real nervous energy about it. But if you practice, that's what helps you become better at it, not necessarily professional. How does one overcome nervousness um, about speaking you know, in public? I prefer, instead of using the word overcome, Dennis, is to use nervous energy. Let me repeat that, use. If you're willing to look at fear and say, you know what, that's just energy. That's just me being a little bit flighty because I don't usually stand in front of 200 people. But if you're willing to move, use your mobility, if you're willing to learn how to breathe, if you're willing to do things that are going to help you relax and actually transform the fear into powerful energy, once again, through practice, you won't have to overcome it. You'll actually incorporate it. You know, that that's interesting because there's a lot of situations in which speaking can be intimidating. I, mean, I think that's the, the basic problem, right, is that you're intimidated because you might be in front of 200 people. Mm -hmm. But you might face that same intimidation in, in, in a boardroom where maybe you're the junior person and, and you're making a little presentation to the six or seven people on your board or the uh, management of your company or something. And it sounds to me like a lot of these techniques that you're talking about would be just as appropriate for those little small groups as they are for large crowds. In fact, if you think about the first time you ever went on an interview, Fred, and you too, Dennis, one of the things we used to laughingly call the Inquisition, there might be five people facing you. You're sitting there trying to answer questions, and you're thinking, gee whiz, they're all looking, staring, and gawking at me. So what it does is it trains you to be willing to speak in front of people, even if you're in a seated position, and use that same fearful energy in your mind as well as some physical attributes to transform it, to make the fear become part of your power. You know, I see in meetings people uh, going around the room introducing themselves. Some people stand, some people sit. Is a recommendation from you to do one or the other? I recommend standing because if you think about powerful breathing, we often talk about how to make our breath more full. That is to take a deep breath into our lungs. And if you think about trying that at some point, you'll find you have more power when you speak. It also helps relax us. One of the things I use as an analogy is when you get home tonight, Fred and Dennis, 
Think of yourself in a recliner. What's the first sound you make as you kick back and you think to yourself, thank God the day's over? What does it sound like? A sigh. Yeah, <laughs> a sigh and a deep breath. So if you think about breath, it's always connected to relaxation. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God that day's over. If we learn how to breathe while we're doing presentations, that very same breath can assist us in becoming powerful. You know, I often see people making speeches and they're walking back and forth pacing. And I've seen that. And then I've also seen people kind of lift one leg, then the other. And they really do look nervous. What, what would be your suggestions for them? One of the things I always recommend to the people I coach is, yes, walking is fine. Just don't look like one of those things at the county fair where we're going to shoot you with a twenty-two. <laughs> the point is to pace yourself. That is, take a few steps, pause, look at the audience like we talked about before, Dennis, and then present. Pace, pause, present. This way you have a reason for walking over. You stop, you take a breath, you present, and you do the same thing when you come back to the left. That means you're you're walking with purpose, Dennis, as opposed to looking like I'm really nervous, so I'm just walking around up here on stage. Do those same things, pace, pause, present, work for your speech uh, pace? Yeah, they, they probably would because what you want to try to do is if, you're, if you know the essence of your speech well enough, you can then pause by taking a breath. A lot of us get so nervous, we do nothing more than say, um, and another thing, Fred, um, and then there's so and like, and we put all these filler words in because we're nervous, as opposed to even now in the middle of a podcast, if I want to stop, take a breath, that breath is going to be heard on the audio track, but it's not the end of the world. It just means I'm taking a breath. <laughs> right. And fortunately, we can edit you out. <laughs> I've, I've taken out a lot of ums in my time. There you go. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's, and it gets real annoying when you hear that. My son says, oh, if he listens to this, he says like, like. all the time. It's like this, like, 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 this, like, this, just like. Yeah. You may want to cut some of that out. I don't know. I like it. Okay. <laughs> what about video? It's likely that at some point a business professional, for example, might need to speak in front of a camera, either a video or live TV, if you can comment on that, please. Yeah, I not only think that that will happen to most professionals these days where we have a lot more access to video, but as I was saying to Fred before the podcast, I recommend that people use video, even if they just lean their smartphone up against something, because there's nothing like visual feedback, Dennis, and especially if you have a coach. This way I can say, Dennis, you know, you're, you're turning your head away from the mic, and if you don't think you're doing that, but I can show you that you are, then you'll be able to say, oh, he's right. I've done it at least seven times in the last few questions. That's the whole point of video is it can be used for constructive feedback and for progress to, to become a better presenter. And what about live? Live is even more important because if you're going to work a camera and, and you're going to have an audience as well, there's an art and a science to looking at the camera and as well looking at your audience. You can't leave one out. If you watch a Today Show or any other newscast program, they do both, and they do it in a way that says, if, I, if you're out there, I want to make sure I'm looking at you, but I want to give most of my attention to the camera. So it's a dual role, but unless you practice, and those are the kinds of things we practice in Toastmasters, you'll hardly ever get it. You know, politicians who often are called to speak, uh, very frequently, especially you notice this on TV, they don't really answer the question that they're asked. They kind of answer the question they want to answer. Is that because they're so skilled and adept at doing that? Or uh, what's your opinion on that? 
That last part, that may be one opinion for it, Dennis, but I really think it's called avoidance and distraction. And in Toastmasters, when we practice something called impromptu speaking, we have a fallback. We say, gee, if Dennis asks me a question I can't answer, maybe I'll shift over and remember one of the ones Fred asked me, and I'll, I'll comment on that. It's not really true to the purpose of the presentation because you asked me a specific question. So what we train ourselves to do is to be ready. If I didn't know what questions that you were going to ask me, I'm trained in, let me think, let me process, and now I'll answer. In other words, I'm preparing myself to answer a question I don't even know is coming. What are some of the keys that you would say to speaking with a pre-written speech? Some of the keys are it's better to write just notes about what you're saying. I know people think I've got to write every line. I have to read every single word. Here's why it's better not to. If I write prompts about my experience today, I'm going to, it'll look like it has holes in it, but it won't. Because what I'm doing is trusting my imagination, trusting my gut to remember all the parts of this podcast. So what I might put down is introductions. I might put down adjusting the mics, meeting Dennis and Fred. And what I do is I fill in the gaps from those and allow myself to use my imagination, not strictly adhering to what's, what's on paper. What are some of the keys to giving an impromptu speech? Impromptu is almost improvisational, and it's really helpful to practice that in your life. Think about some of the examples that both you and Fred brought up. I'm in an interview, and somebody says, hey, Fred, tell us a little something about yourself. The classic question. Seven minutes later, some people are still talking about dogs and cats and their Antilles. If you're not careful, if you don't limit your comments and know how to practice an answer in two minutes, you're not going to get the job, so to speak. You're not going to get your point across to the people. So impromptu speaking is something we practice, and the more you do it, the more you concentrate on, even though I only have a minute, I need to make an opening, a body, and a close. Bob, can you speak a little bit to how you use these presentation skills in marketing? And I'm referring to, for example, videos on a website or uh, other parts of a marketing strategy where, where presentation skills can be effective. As I try to talk to some of the business owners I work with when I coach them on, about presentations or on video, I try to make sure they understand how conciseness is more important than the message itself. The message will come across, but as we spoke about, it's important that they greet and that they get the message across generally and then get somebody to the next part of their website or the next part of the script that they have. If you try to do too much all at once on video, it becomes boring. It just simply becomes too long. So I teach people to speak almost in 30 or 60-second increments, and that really is the most effective way to get to your next point. As a little bit of background, what, what Bob and I had been discussing was the idea that most websites right now are very static. The, the idea is what about putting a little bit of a video on that website so that you can start to build a relationship with your customer because they can click on that little video and the president of the company or the head of marketing or somebody can go on there and have a little chat, a one-way chat with, with the viewer. We know that marketing is a lot about building relationships. So what, what Bob is teaching seems like if you can convert it to a small video that you put on a website, you're taking a step in the right direction in marketing. And if you're going to do that, Bob, do you do that with a program that you buy, have, that's online for free, that's uh, one of the streaming programs? What's the best way to, to do those videos? Well, there's two ways these days. We all know what a selfie means. So someone can take their video out, their camera, their cell phone, and make their own little video. The problem with that is just as you guys concentrate on making this audio high quality, 
most cameras, unless they're equipped for microphone input, will not have good audio. So what I try to do is show them that audio is just as important as the video. And when we talk about video, we need lighting. So now we're getting into the professional realm of let's get you set up. Let's get the right voiceover done if you're using one. Let's get all the professionals involved so you don't have a schlock presentation. You have something that says, Fred, if I land on your website, things are going to look polished and professional. What kind of tips would you have for networking, going to a meeting, meeting different people? Maybe, you know, you're with the person for just a couple minutes, then you're meeting somebody else. Uh, how should you present yourself that way? I always recommend presenting yourself first through questions. Hey, Dennis, how long have you been in this business? What did you do before you start podcasting? Questions like that. I want to get you involved in a conversation with me before I start selling you, before I start monologuing you, even though that may not be a word. The point I'm trying to make is it's a dialogue. And when by the time you get to the point where they ask you questions, then you're at that impromptu stage where you can say, well, I've been, I've been this kind of a trainer, Fred. It's helped me to become a Toastmaster. You keep your answers short you keep them based on what the audience wants and needs to know. Can you talk about the concept of mirroring, where you're kind of following what the other person does to get in sync with them? Yeah, mirroring or even pacing, as some people call it, is really a lot to do with paraphrasing. When you ask, ask me a question, Dennis, I almost repeat in my own words what that question is. That shows I not only heard you, but I understand the question. What that then does is it signifies to you that I'm on the same track as you, the same wavelength. So when I answer, my answer hopefully is coinciding with the question you have and a little bit more aligned to the answer you're, you're seeking. It's not easy to do until you become aware of it. But once you do it, it becomes the way we say we're on the same wavelength. Very interesting. What about Toastmasters? I know you've been involved with Toastmasters for quite a while, quite a long time. I've never been to Toastmaster meeting. I don't know, Fred, I don't know if you have. But uh, what's, what goes on in a meeting there? If you think about one of the ways that either one of you have ever practiced and got good at something, it's the key word there is practice. Fred and I were talking about the IT industry, computer industry before the podcast. The way you get good at anything is to practice it. Think about Toastmasters as continuing education, Dennis. It's an opportunity for you to go to meet fun people, friendly people, supportive people that are going to help you achieve your goals. And at the same time, you get to help them achieve theirs. It's all about continuously practicing. Bob... Obviously, listening to you, there's a, there's a lot that the average person doesn't know about presentations. We all think we can get up there and make a speech or, or talk, or, or maybe we don't, but you know, some of us do. But there's obviously a lot more to it. How do you go about finding resources either for just learning to speak publicly, and obviously Toastmasters is one outlet, but if you want more one-on-one -on -one coaching or you want to learn how to make a video and make a video, where do you find those resources? Well, if you don't mind a shameless plug from me, that's one of the things that I do in my job. That's uh, BobTerrellPresentationsCoach.com. That's one long, one long word there, one long phrase. But that's what I do for a living. I'm really involved in presentations coaching. And then as a sidebar, if they're interested in marketing, Fred, they're interested in doing something a little bit more powerful, then the video comes into play. But as Dennis and you have pointed out, they could be in a meeting. They could be in an interview. So my coaching becomes get ready, get ready for what the world's questions are, and be a powerful presenter on the spot, which is where most of us live. Bob, what about a situation where you're at a formal dinner, both from a standpoint of just dinner talk at the table? Is that any different than just talking to somebody in, as you network? I don't think it is, Dennis. In fact, I think people appreciate concise 
clear and very brief answers. It's kind of like repeating the concise. But people don't want to listen to long-winded speakers or, or people that are just chatting. So the more you practice effective presentations, the more, I think, the better you get at just chit-chat, conversation, which says, Dennis asked me a question, I answer it, and we move on maybe to Dennis's question or another question. But the longer you linger, people are just going to kind of go, is he still talking? <laughs> I noticed I was at a Kentucky Derby party uh, a couple of days ago, and I uh, met someone, and they asked, we were talking about, you know, real estate, and uh, I kept going on and on and on about analysis, and I looked at them, and I saw I lost them. So I even said, gee, I apologize for going on and on. I, I you know, I went too far. <laughs> we, we all learn that tangential discussion is important. The key is, and, and this is what happens when you practice, you learn to minimize it so that people can say, oh, I, I didn't think of that. Or as you guys do right here in your podcast, hey, that, that begs a follow-up question. Allow people to get, once again, get to the next question or the next click. I've been told that I've been relational, whatever that means. So I guess that's, <laughs> that means I relate to people well, but because uh, I could talk about all kinds of things. That's maybe why I'm doing this series. <laughs> Bob, is there anything that we didn't talk about uh, in this discussion that, that you would want people to think about? Both you and Dennis have really been, you know, complete in your questions. What I'm hoping, though, is that a takeaway, they will realize how important the practice is. And I know that that's not a favorite thing of a lot of us, but the more we practice anything, the better we get. So whether we're using our cell phones, whether we're using a camera, whether we're using people that are around us to help us give us feedback, the point is do something to practice to get better because the more you do, eventually the better it will feel. Bob, thank you for joining us today and enlightening us on making effective presentations. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Thank you, Bob. You've been listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. The opinions of the hosts and guests are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of SCORE. If you would like to hear more podcasts, get a free mentor, view a transcript of this podcast, or would like more information about the services we provide, you can call SCORE at 800-634-0245 or visit our website at www.score.org. Again, that's 800-634-0245 or visit the website at www.score.org.